Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Brian. Great sound, great worship. Appreciate all those guys do and practice during the week also to make this happen. Well, once again, it's a wonderful time to be here in the in our church, and thank you guys for coming today and guests. Uh, certainly are glad you're here as well. Uh, we find ourselves in a, in a series called the Explore God series, and we're on week two of, uh, of questions that have kind of been posed to Christianity. Uh, what is Christianity and what do we believe as Christians? And kind of questions that sometimes the world may ask of us as well that we need to be prepared to give an answer. And the question we've been dealing with last week and this week is, is Jesus really God? Now, we looked at uh, multiple passages last week where Jesus actually declares himself and agrees that he is indeed God. We also looked at C.S. Lewis's argument, a famous Christian author, and we, we know him more familiarly now from the Chronicles of Narnia, but before that, he, was, um, he wrote many books on, a, on, on how to defend the Christian faith, and he put it like this, that Jesus definitely, and the Bible definitely, uh, speaks of Jesus being himself God. So for a person to say that they believe that Jesus is just a good man or a prophet or a nice guy, that's incorrect. He said if you look at the biblical claims for who Jesus says he is, you either have to agree with Jesus that, yes, Jesus is God. Uh, C.S. Lewis used the, used the term Lord. You would either have to agree that Jesus is Lord or, if he was wrong, you would either have to say that he is a liar or a lunatic. But there's no room to say, well, I believe that Jesus was a good man. But you can't do that. So you would either have to say that, yes, Jesus does claim to be God. He is God. You would have to agree to that. Or if not, you would have to come down not saying that he's a good man, but that he is a liar or that he is completely deluded. He is completely delusional. He is completely insane. He was a lunatic. Of course, as Christians, we believe the biblical claims. We believe what Jesus said, that he is indeed God. He said he was God. We believe that he is indeed God. So we looked last week at several verses, and we looked at John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus proclaimed to the Pharisees, he said, I am. He uses this term when they were questioning who he is and, uh, and, and what his authority was. And he finally just drops this huge bomb on them. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And we read that in the English language, and sometimes it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But this was huge. We saw that he picked up the very name that was given by God of himself to Moses back when the burning bush uh, scene was going on there in the book of Exodus. Moses sees the burning bush. He walks up to the burning bush. The voice comes out of it and gives him directions, right, to, to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses goes, goes to, to the bush that is on fire but yet, yet not being consumed. And he says, who should I say is sending me? Who should I say is telling me to go do this? And the voice says, tell them I am has sent you, that this is God. It's not just one characteristic of God, but he is the great I am. He is the one that has always been, the one that will always be, who is not changing. He simply, or complexly you might say, is I am. So Jesus takes up that name in John chapter 8, and this is a clear claim that he is indeed God. They knew what he was claiming. We looked at that last week. They picked up stones to actually stone him to death on the spot because here we have a man who is claiming to be God, but he truly was God. We also looked at Matthew chapter 26, 
Another place where Jesus reveals his full identity, he has been arrested. Uh, Caiaphas is questioning him. And here we see in verse 63, Caiaphas uh, says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. So what was going on here, we see, is that indeed Jesus, is. they're saying, tell us who you are. And Caiaphas says, tell us if you are the Christ. Remember, that means the Messiah, the anointed one from God, the one that was supposed to come, been prophesied throughout the Old Testament that God would send to save us. Tell us if you are the Christ. He also says, tell us if you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, yes, indeed, as you have said, I am the Christ, I am the Son of God. But then we also looked at this title that here he picks up that he is also the Son of Man. And this was a beautiful title. Again, he takes from the book of Exodus, I am, and lets them know that he is that God. Here he takes the title given in the book of Daniel to this, this mysterious uh, a figure that is, that is man but yet God that appears before the Ancient of Days. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, he's referred to as one who is like a son of man. And here we have this one who is given all authority in Daniel chapter 7 who has given all power and will be the ultimate judge of all mankind. So here Jesus says, I am Christ, I am the Son of God, and I'm also the one like the Son of Man in the book of Daniel, that Daniel the prophet saw that was coming before the Ancient of Days, God the Father, I am that one. And what does Caiaphas do? He says, you've committed blasphemy, right? And this sealed the deal where they tried to, they did, put Jesus to death and crucified him just hours after this. We also looked at another claim in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 through 17, the great confession of, of Peter when Jesus was asking, uh, who do people say that I am? And people gave him very lofty titles. They said, well, maybe Jesus is a prophet, you know, a very good prophet, or like Elijah, or maybe he was a Jeremiah, or like John the Baptist, or, or maybe he's John the Baptist, somehow come back from the dead. And that the people in general said nice things about Jesus. And how we oftentimes have a culture that will do that. They'll say, oh, he was a good man, and he was a nice teacher. And they'll give him some lofty titles, but that's not enough for him to be your Savior. And Jesus finally turns to them and says, or to Peter directly, and says, but who do you say that I am? And this is what it boils down to, is who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Not that your opinion can change who he is, because he is the I am. He is unchanging. He doesn't change because of popular vote or what we decide he should be. He is what he is. But to be saved by him, you must realize who he truly is. And Peter answers, He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, exclamation point there, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So here we have Peter giving a positive ID on who Jesus is. He is not just a man. He's not just a nice guy. He's not just a great prophet like some people were saying of him. But he is actually the Christ. He is God. He is God the Son, the Son of God. And Jesus says, how did Peter arrive at this? 
that God the Father revealed this to him. So this is who Jesus claims to be. Clearly, he claims to be God. We see this from his own mouth. Now, the question is, um, what is the, why is this, you might say, that big of a deal anyway? Is Jesus God? Do I have to believe that Jesus is actually really God to get to heaven? Now think about that for a moment. Do I have to believe that Jesus is actually God to get to heaven? Turn with me to John chapter 8 as we think about that for a moment. John chapter 8. We were there last week and we're just going to go a little bit further back into it. And for the sermon this week, we're, this, this is going to be, a, it is going to be, if you brought your Bible, uh, you are going to be turning quite a bit, but we're covering a big topic in just a couple of sermons. And honestly, this could be spread out to cover 10 or 12 sermons, but we're trying to, to at least canvas the Bible somewhat to show you that it's not a rare thing that Jesus is claiming to be God. It's all throughout it. It's not rare for someone to say that he is God. It's extremely common. And today we're going to go through multiple places where men, where God the Father, where even demons and angels proclaim that Jesus is God. But here uh, we're going to look at in John chapter 8. We'll be in verse uh, 15 in just a moment. But now this is an interesting subject. Do you have to believe that Jesus is God to get to heaven? Uh, Can you just believe that Jesus was really a good man, sent from God. Is that enough? If you just say, well, I don't believe that whole Jesus is God thing. I just want to say Jesus was a good man, that he is a prophet. I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. We all believe in Jesus. Is that enough for you to be able to know for sure that you will be in heaven for all of eternity? And this is kind of the question we're posing as we go through this. If you make up your own Jesus, then your faith is actually in a Jesus that does not even exist. Think about that for a moment. If you, if you don't take the definition from the Bible of who Jesus is, that he is the eternal son of God who has put on flesh the incarnation, who has lived the perfect sinless life, who dies for our sins on the cross of all believers, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and will be the final judge over all men. What if you start pulling pieces out of that? We've covered this before. But well, what if you just make up your own? Say, ah, that whole God thing, too much. I'm just going to say that he's a good man. Is that enough? No, because you've changed the definition of who Jesus is, and therefore you've changed the gospel. So now you have a gospel that cannot save at all, and you've made up a fictitious character that never even existed. Because here we see a real character, a real person, Jesus, who is man, who is God. Now let's look at John chapter 8 as Jesus deals with this, basically, the exact same scenario that we're going over here today. Now we'll start off a little bit earlier, John chapter 8, verse 15, to give you a little back story to what's going on here. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, talking to the Pharisees. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So why does Paul, Paul 
Sorry, why does it say here that no one arrested him? Why does John say this? What, what had he done? What did Jesus do that was actually wrong in this setting? Uh, why would they want to arrest Jesus? Well, we take this for granted because we see it so often in the text. But Jesus is claiming that God the Father, the God who has spoken and created all, is his very own personal Father. That they are one in essence, they are one in thought, that, that this is a unity that goes beyond anything that they have with God as his creation. He is actually claiming that he is the eternal God. And so they are understanding this connection that is there, and they were getting angry even at that time. But John says he was not arrested at that time. But it escalates. Let's look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will, not, you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am of not of this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Don't miss this. This verse is extremely important. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is an extremely bold statement of Jesus. It is not enough just to believe that I'm a man just like you. But he is saying, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, and he even uses this term that we went back to Exodus 2 last week. He brings that forward, unless you believe, I am the eternal one and only God, you will die in your sins. This is huge. It is clearly not enough just to say, I believe Jesus was a nice guy, a man, a good teacher, maybe a prophet sent from God, someone like Jeremiah or Elijah or John the Baptist, one of those type guys. That, that's, that, I believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, it's all fine. No, that's not enough. Obviously, they believed to some degree in Jesus as far as he's right there in front of them. He is teaching. He's talking. They know that he does exist. It's not enough for us to look back in history and say, I know that man existed. That's enough, right? No, it's not enough. He says you will actually die in your sins if you do not believe and agree that he is God. Uh, One of my favorite theologians, I don't do this that often, but I do want to quote this because it's so good. Sometimes I study this material and it helps me, and I, I put it in a different way sometimes when I give it to you. But I want to give this exactly from his mouth. His name is John Gresham Macon, a professor of Princeton back when it was a heavily Christian uh, seminary there. And uh, this is what he says on this issue. He says, it is not a sin to worship Jesus. On the contrary, it is the highest and noblest privilege and duty ever given to man. It is not a sin to worship the real Jesus. But look at this. It is not a sin to worship the Jesus who is God and man. But it is a sin to manufacture a Jesus who was man only and not God. Let me read that again. He says, but it is a sin to manufacture a Jesus who was man only and not God. And then after you have manufactured that purely human Jesus to bow down and worship, do you not see what that kind of worship of the moral life of a supposedly purely human Jesus, a Jesus who is regarded merely as the ideal man, 
Do you not see what that worship of such a purely human Jesus really means? It means that the man who engages it in it has committed the ancient and terrible sin of worshiping humanity. It means that he has worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that is a sin indeed. So he puts it so bluntly, so plainly here. I wanted to read that to you. But if we create this Jesus who is not God, and then we sing praises and worship him, and that's who we're thinking of as Jesus, we are actually engaging in sin. We've created an idol. We've created something that's not even real. But we must acknowledge that Jesus is indeed God and he is man. Why did Jesus say that they would die in their sins for not believing that he was God? This is huge because all have sinned. We've covered this multiple, multiple times. Almost every Sunday you'll hear something to this effect that we as humankind are born sinners. We actively sin. Our sin separates us from a holy God. God demands justice. All sins must be punished by him. So we naturally are in the position deserving God's wrath. We have sinned. Our sins are with us. We deserve His wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. This is who we are by nature. Now, the great news, the Bible calls it the good news, the gospel, is that your sins can be removed. Your sins can actually be paid for, not by us and our power and the things that we can do, but through Jesus Christ. That's His position. This is who He is, the God-man who comes and lives the perfect life that we could not live. He dies on the cross, not just to experience death, but He takes the full wrath of God on Himself for all sins of all people who believe in Him. So that when you believe and trust in Jesus for your saving, for your rescuing, for your salvation, your sins are removed. Where, Where do they go? God can't just say, well, they're gone. Don't worry about them anymore. No, they're punished. But who are they punished on? They're punished on Jesus Christ himself so that he takes your sin as a believer. It is placed on him on the cross. He receives the punishment from man, but on the cross he receives the wrath of God for our sins. Everyone, all sin deserves hell, your sins and mine. The only way we escape hell is if hell was taken on by Jesus Christ himself. And that's where our sins go as believers. Jesus takes on our sins. He pays the price. He atones for them. And we receive his righteousness. So we're in a right standing before God. So he's saying here, if you do not believe I am who I say I am, that I am the great I am, that I am God, you will die in your sins. This is the way of saying that your sins are not removed. Your sins are not forgiven. Your sins are not paid for. They are in you. They are on you. They're all around you. And when you die, they go with you. Meaning you will face the full wrath of God for your sins unless you believe I am who I say I am. So this is huge. This is extremely important for us as Christians. And sadly, this is a doctrine that has gotten taught less and less and less and less. And nowadays when people present the gospel, very seldom do we mention the fact that Jesus is not just a man, but he is also God. So this is a call for us to get back to presenting the true Jesus that is truly man, that is truly God. Um, this, uh, we look at the gospel. For instance, it's Romans 1.16 that we look at quite often here lately. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, so this is the good news in a a very, very concise way. 
that Paul gives here. But he, he elaborates more on it earlier in Romans 1. But he says here that we can be saved. This is big because we've sinned. We deserve punishment. But we can be saved. But how can we be saved? It is the gospel. What is the gospel about? It's all about Jesus. And those who believe the gospel, it says, will be saved. So this is what is so important. We must understand the gospel is not just these letters, G-O-S-P-E-L. But the gospel is all about Jesus. It is who He is. It is what He has done to bring forgiveness to all who believe in Him. So Mark 1.1, we see even a quick paraphrase, paraphrase of the coming gospel that Mark is writing about. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he's going to give us the good news. He's going to give us the gospel. But what does he say right up front? Let me tell you about the Christ, the one who is the only one who is anointed by God to come rescue us, who is also the Son of God. Critical, essential point to understanding what the gospel is. So in this John chapter 8 passage in verse 25, they said, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Then he goes on to let them know that they will face the judgment eventually. They will come before him in, in, in one way or the other. They will acknowledge he is Lord. And that's what we see in the Bible is that those who believe here are saved. But eventually, all people everywhere, we see this in the book of Revelation, we see this in the book of Philippians, that every knee, every tongue uh, will confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. So you may be, people say, well, I'll reject him here, I'm not going to believe in him, but eventually you will. But those who wait until then, it is too late, that we are commanded to believe in him for salvation now, or else we die in our sins. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We as believers who, who believe in the Son of God, that He is Jesus, He is man, He is God, we have eternal life. It doesn't go away. We have it. It is our possession because He bought it for us. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him because they die in their sin. So in order for our sins to be removed from us, and therefore the wrath of God... We must believe the true gospel, that Jesus is truly who he says he is. He is the one prophesied by God through man for all history, the one that is coming, the Messiah, the Christ. He is the one who is the son of man. He is the son of God, who lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, who died for the sins of all believers, who uh, rose on the third day, who ascended into heaven, received all authority and power, and will be the final judge over all mankind. This is the gospel, the good news, that those who believe in him truly will be truly saved by him as well. All right, let's, let's skip over to, um, I'm gonna, some of these are on the screen for you today, but if you, if you want to take notes or if you want to follow along, you're, you're more than, uh, more than uh, happy to do so. But we're going to look at a few different places. Kind of, you might think they're kind of random, but I just wanted you to kind of get a taste of the fact that it's not just Jesus claiming to be God, but it's all those around him are also beginning to see that he is God. And one of, the, one of the first, earliest, and best statements of who he is actually comes, I mean, we know John the Baptist announces him and attributes deity, uh, Godship to him. But one of the first and earliest uh, statements actually comes from a demon 
who announces who Jesus truly is and makes a positive confession as far as saying who Jesus truly is. So we find this in Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 24, I believe. Uh, we see where Jesus has, has just he's received the baptism by John. He's, he's gone out into the desert where he's tempted by Satan himself. Uh, the, fa- the fast, 40 days, and it completely famished, resisted that, and now his teaching ministry begins. And he comes into a synagogue here in Capernaum. And let me start off from verse 1, chapter 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, synagogue is not some huge, big building that we think of, a mega church or anything like that. Pretty, pretty small. Uh, smaller area than this would be a synagogue in a, in a smaller city or even a larger one. They're kind of small buildings set out there. Verse 22, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Look at verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Okay, so they claim, yes, he's a man, Jesus of Nazareth. That's, a, that's, that's where he resides. Uh, that's a, his man name, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? And then they say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And here we have this confession from a demon. Jesus is in their teaching Demons, the demon begins to immediately speak, recognizes who Jesus is, and calls him out openly as to who he is. We see this in Mark chapter 3, 11, that This happened all the time as Jesus was out teaching. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it makes a great Sermon right around Halloween time. Everyone likes to have a little something scary around Halloween time. But Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through, well, it continues on, but we're only going to read through 1 through 7 today. But here's a fantastic story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because here we have Legion. Uh, a man who is possessed by many demons. The number, so theologians say it could be hundreds, it could be thousands, but this man is severely possessed by demons. And that Jesus is arriving on shore, and, and, and what's going to happen? The people have had this man possessed uh, there in their area for a long time. Jesus arrives, the man comes running at Jesus. What is going to happen? It's about to be a huge battle, right? Well, let's see what happens. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived amongst the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him." Night and day amongst the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy's serious trouble, right? It's almost supernatural human strength here. They they can't contain him. They can't hold him. He breaks out of chains. He's living in the tombs. Night and day, he's howling and making wild noises. This is a bad guy. Uh, Severely possessed is what we find out. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him. There's no fight. <clears throat> There's no battle. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
These demons were wreaking havoc in this man's life and havoc in this town. But the moment Jesus steps foot on the land, the demon comes running to him. Could you imagine? Uh, this is definitely a whole sermon in itself. But uh, the, the people, he's right there on the docks is where they've arrived. Uh, a busy, busy place, bustling with activity and merchants and sales. And here comes this possessed man they're all scared of. People spread out and he runs all the way to Jesus. They're expecting some kind of fight like every other person has tried to subdue this man and he bows down to him says what have you to do with us jesus the son of the most high god so out of the demon's mouth even we hear this positive confession of who jesus truly is uh angels as well we know this especially uh, regarding the birth announcements of jesus uh attribute uh, the fact that he is indeed God, he is not just a man that's being born. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 32 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of this kingdom there will be no end. So here we have the angel Gabriel who is announcing who this is that is about to be born, He's letting them know that this is not just a man. This is not your typical birth. There is no man involved in this birth. It is God. It is going to be God and man that you're about to give birth to. And he's announcing who he is, that this one is Lord. He is also the one in which kingdom will never, ever end. He is eternal. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For you unto this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Even the term Emmanuel, and we'll look at this as we get closer to December, uh, what does that mean? And he'll be called Emmanuel. It means God with us, that we have God with us. When you have Jesus, you have God with us. It is not just a man. You have the one who is God also. In the book of Hebrews, uh, we see that all angels worship Jesus. Uh, in the book of Revelation, we see all angels worshiping Jesus as well. Why do angels worship Jesus? Why should we worship Jesus? Why do we sing songs to him? Because he is indeed God. That is why we worship him. We don't worship man. In fact, if we worship man, we're breaking the uh, multiple uh, commandments of God and uh, we're worshiping someone who is not God. So it's extremely important to understand we worship God when we worship Jesus. Uh, demons uh, confess who Jesus is truly. Uh, angels confess and announce who Jesus is truly and worship Him. Uh, man, one of my favorite uh, confessions, professions of who Jesus is, is found in John 20. It's in, and if you're making notes in your Bible or at the back of your Bible, uh, I've done such a thing before when I was coming around people, especially other uh, religions, cults that claim to be Christian who remove this, this vital part of the gospel out. It's, it's important for us as Christians to be able to know, uh, uh, yes, Jesus is God, and this is where he claims to be God. And this is where others claim that he is God, and we know the Bible says that he is God. So this is a great place to go to, and I highly recommend this one as well. But John 20, eventually we'll get to 28. I'm going to read this passage in context a little bit here, starting in verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about that Jesus has risen from the dead, and now he's, he's made several appearances. And we know this, but Thomas was not with them at the time when the other disciples saw that Jesus 
had risen from the dead and was there with him. So verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is extremely important. Here we have Thomas who believes in Jesus to some degree, right? He's done life with Jesus these past years. They've gone all over the place together. He's seen miracles. He knows that Jesus is indeed extremely important. He knows he can do miraculous things. But he has not yet fully ascribed this, this deity to him, understanding that he is truly God. But here we see as Jesus rises from the dead, and this radically changes everything for not only Thomas, but all the disciples. Most of them thought this was the end of it. They're hiding. The door is locked, right? The the Romans just killed Jews. Romans just killed Jesus. They're going to come after us next. They're hiding. They're in concealment. The door is locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears there with them. And Thomas acknowledges in verse 28, John 20, verse 28, Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Now he understands he is not just master and Lord, but that Jesus is actually fully God as well. Beautiful statement here. All right, a couple others, just, to, just to, so you get an idea that this is not just yanked out of context where we think Jesus is God, but everyone else gets to choose whatever they want, believe he is or not, whatever. No, the Bible clearly is stating over and over and over and over that Jesus is God and that we must believe that Jesus is, is God because he is the great I am. Unless we believe that, we will die in our sins. So here we see Thomas uh, truly confessing who he is. Titus. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13. I'll have it on the screen for you. Uh, says this, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, it, it's, it's here is just a simple statement. It's in passing. They know this to be true. Paul knows this to be true. But he drops it in here for, to make sure that we continue to, to understand who Jesus is. Uh, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1 uh, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have, or, have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So again, the the disciples knew who he was, and they taught and they preached who he was. We find it oftentimes at the beginning of the gospel, throughout the gospels, in Paul's letters, and the letters here from Peter as well, where they let us know that indeed Jesus is not just a good man. He is also God. It's extremely important that we understand that, or it wouldn't be in the Word of God. Uh, We find also kind of the you might say the icing on the cake. Uh, we have 
looked at what demons said today. We looked at what angels said. We looked at what some of the different apostles have said about who Jesus is. But we also have the direct voice of God who announces who Jesus is. And that's quite a validation. So it's not just a man who's claiming to be God and gets a few people to believe that he is God. Uh, But this is actually coming from God the Father himself. Where do we find that in the Bible? Does it ring a bell to you? Where we have the voice of God who announces who Jesus truly is? Hopefully it does. But let's let's look back early in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. I'll read a... I'm sorry, verse 13. I'll I'll start there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. The whole section is great, of course. Um, for the sake of this sermon, I've kind of, kind of cons- reading fewer scriptures just to let you see the point in, in the fact that Jesus is indeed God. But let's start in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let me read 17 one more time. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here we have a declaration from God the Father Himself, a voice that is heard by them, that this is indeed the Son of God. God. Now we're going to cover this in discipleship time today. Andrew's going to cover this a little bit for us as well. But when, when God, we say God the Son, the Son of God, we're not talking about a creation by God, uh, but that we're talking about the eternal God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity, who has always and forever existed. Uh, quite complicated, uh, three co-equal, co-eternal who's, one God in whom exists these three. But the Trinity is a mystery. There's nothing here on earth that we can say, oh, the Trinity is like this, or the Trinity is like that. It's indeed something that is only only God, and there is nothing we can compare it to. But we have to see here that all three are present. We have God the Father's voice, we have God the Holy Spirit, and we have God the Son represented as well. But again, God has not created this one called the Son but he is of first importance. And we're going to cover that later in discipleship. I'm not going to get into that too much here. But what I do want you to see is that God the Father is indeed claiming that, yes, this Jesus is not just a man, that we are the same. He is the same essence as I, the same substance. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, we're going to look at one more spot where God the Father announces who Jesus is. And I hope from last week's sermon and this week's sermon that there is no question. And there's so much more as I study this and prepare these, these sermons over the last two weeks. There's so many passages we could go to. And I know sometimes it might seem like we're, we're doing too many passages. But I want you to understand that this is not just an opinion of mine. Uh, this is not man's opinion. This is the Word of God. And this is what we believe. And this is who Jesus truly is. All right. But in Matthew chapter 17, again, we have a beautiful, amazing story here. 
that could easily be a sermon in itself, and one day it will be for us. But in Matthew chapter 17, we hear the voice of God speak again. And it's this amazing scene that plays out. In Matthew 17, verse 1, let me just read it. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now let me pause right there. When you cross-reference this and look at the other Gospels, how they present this, it's amazing. Uh, So you have Peter, James, and John, and Jesus going up this mountain. Four men go up the mountain looking like four average men, okay, humans walking up this mountain. They get to the top, and all of a sudden Jesus is transfigured before them. That's a word that we do not use any, I don't think, in today's language, unless you're reading it here. But it comes from the very word that we get a, a metamorphe from, to, to metamorph. What is metamorphosis? Where, what, what does that come from? Where do we use that? We we'll use it with, with butterflies, right? Caterpillars and, and cocoons, and they turn into uh, they turn into to butterflies. Then something has changed. Their very figure has been trans. It has been changed. It's been morphed. And so that's what we have here: is a metamorphosis, a transfiguring. They're, the figure itself has changed right there in front of them. So we have four men. Looks like four men, but all of a sudden, one of them is all of a sudden shining so bright. Uh, He says that clothes became as white as light. The other gospels say whiter than any bleach could bleach them, uh, whiter than the sun itself. This amazing glory begins to come from him. And they realize one of these is not like the other at this point, right? They understand that this guy, Jesus, is not just man like you and I. There's something extremely special. He is divine. Look what happens here. Uh, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Why is that significant? Because they had been dead for a long time. Their bodies were, but we have souls that never die. And they were sent back to talk with Jesus at this time. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is our main point for this passage today, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So here we have again, who is Jesus? He's not just a man. He is God. And here the disciples hear the word of God, the Father himself, saying this is who he is. Understand who he is. This is indeed my son. This is God. So we have here Jesus' own words. We looked at them from last week's message that Jesus indeed claimed to be God, the son of man. He claimed to be the Christ, the son of God as well. He is the great I am. Uh, Also, we have the, the... positive confession of the demons here. They understand He's God. Angels announce Him as God. His disciples announce Him as God. We have God the Father announcing Him as God as well. So the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? And this is the question that Jesus posed Peter that day. Because it's it's okay to get the opinion of others to some degree. Hey, who do you think Jesus is? 
But in the end, it doesn't matter what other people think. It's you that face the judgment of God one day. And the Bible lets us know it is Jesus who is that judge. So if you deny who Jesus is, you're rejecting Jesus Christ. So who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that he is indeed more than a man? Do you believe that he is God? That he is the great I am? That he is God? That he is man? This is extremely important, and this is the gospel. We see in John chapter 8, as we looked at earlier, if we don't believe that he is who he is, that he is the great I am, then we die in our sins. And that's not good, because we die, all of us eventually die, but some of us die without our sin, and some of us die with our sin. And you don't want to die with your sin, because it stays with you for all of eternity. And the only way to get that off of you, to get that out of you, is to have it paid for by the one who is God, the one who is man, and his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, the good news is that we who are believers, who have trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation, rest in this. and We know that we have eternal life because we have believed in the one who is God and man, who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross, who took our sins, paid the price, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will be the final judge over all mankind. We have no fear of facing him as judge. Why? Because he's paid for our sins. So we come before him and we're welcomed in. But for those who have not, if that's you today, then I hope and pray that God has revealed to you who we are by nature, whether we are sinners separated from God, and that Jesus is indeed the one and only way to get to heaven. So we are commanded by God to believe in him, repent from our unbelief, and believe in Jesus for who he truly is for our salvation. And if that's you today, feel free to call, talk to me, call me anytime. But even right where you are, at any point as you're going through life, contemplate these things, think of these things, and believe in Jesus Christ for who He truly is. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You've taken all speculation out. There are many opinions on who Jesus is in the world today. But man's opinion doesn't matter. Uh, the creation can come up with as many opinions and definitions of of Jesus as they want, but in the end it doesn't change who He is because Jesus is the great I Am. He is the eternal one who always has been, always will be, who does not change. He is God. You sent us one Savior and one Savior only, and you've commanded us to believe in that Savior for our salvation. You've commanded us, it's seen over and over and over, that we can't just say that He was a man, a good man like us, and except better, but that He is indeed God. Lord, I praise you for that, for all who are believers, who have been saved and rescued from their sin in this room today, that we worship you. We, we truly worship this Jesus, this one who is God and man, who has rescued us from our sins. And God, I pray if there's anyone who has not believed in Jesus truly for their salvation, for their forgiveness of sins, may they do so today. Draw them unto you for salvation. May they believe in you today for their forgiveness, for their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.